grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you from your Lord, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I begin my sermon today, I'd like to first of all thank Jay Schaefer for some pictures that he gave to us for, to make this meaningful, as well as Robin, who took some of the pictures, as well as Robin putting all this video together. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, fellow redeemed. Sometimes, even though we can do something, we don't do it so that someone else doesn't get hurt. It sums up this way. Yes, I can. But no, I won't. I remember when my son Ben was playing Little League baseball and I was a coach. Now as a parent in the stands, I could blame the pair, I could blame the other players for errors when the, his team lost the game. I could get caught up in the game and get angry. But when I think back, those are not the things to do. Yes, I could do them. You know, that's how baseball works. And every fan is right, you know. But no, I shouldn't have done that. Mike Matheny, a former manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, wrote a book for coaches and parents called the Matheny Manifesto. It came out of a coaching little league, a letter that he wrote, parents especially, it calls for the showing integrity while playing hard. You play smart, but you respect yourself, your teammates, and your opponents in your craft. It also details how parents are to act in the kids' games, with the key word being respect. As I look back at it today, I wish I had seen that book when my own kids were playing. It teaches that even though you can yell or you can blame, you can complain and be obnoxious, you don't do those things. Instead, by not doing them, you are teaching your kids good sportsmanship. Yes, I can, but no, I won't. You see, the Apostle Paul, in the setting that has that principle in today's Bible passage, now concerning food to the idols. I know that sounds a little strange. Food sacrificed to idols not eating meat. What's that all about? Well, back in Corinth, you can find all sorts of temples to the various idols and false gods. What would happen is that the sacrifice of animals would be made and the meat of those animals would be split in three ways. First, it would be left on the altar for that false god. Secondly, some would have eaten by the people who worshiped there, often in special needs of celebrations like a birthday, anniversary, or a family celebration. Or third, the rest of that meat was taken to the marketplace and sold. And in fact, most people 
if they were going to eat any meat, would most likely have eaten meat that it was sacrificed to the idol before it reached the marketplace. What complicates this matter is that these temples or shrines were meeting places for society. That birthday party or that anniversary or social gathering that you were planning, well, it's going to happen at places where, all, where idols were worshipped. The meat for that, for that meal came from the altar where it had been sacrificed to that false god. Now some of the Corinthian congregations were a little bit too puffed up in their own knowledge. In fact, they said, we know that these are false gods. We know that the idols are just wood or gold or stone. We know that just one, that there's one true God. We know that the food isn't going to any, get us any closer to Jesus or push us farther away. It's just plain food because the idols don't really exist anyway. We can go ahead and eat at these temple meals in the church were some people who were very involved in those kind of sacrifices. You see, they couldn't separate the eating that they were doing now from the eating that they were doing when they were worshiping these false idols before. And so their conscience was hurt. Their conscience was weak because to eat meat would lead them back to the idols, and away from Jesus. And so Paul steps into this situation. You see, he isn't talking about things that were definitely wrong here. He isn't talking about the actual worship of the idols. Of course, that's wrong. And he isn't dealing with adultery or stealing or abusive behavior, or using profanity, or getting drunk, or other things that are forbidden? No. He's talking about now what we call a gray area. Whether or not can we eat meat? Can we eat it in the privacy of our homes? Can we eat it when people see us? And Paul, to answer that question, says yes. You can eat this meat at, that, at least in the privacy of your home since you know that the idol is fake and you don't at all mean to worship it. But if you go back to later in, in chapter 10, he comes back and he says something different. He says, no, you can't be a part of the temple meals even if it is mostly a social gathering. You see, that meal is participating with the demons that may be present there. And the meal that you are eating there gives the wrong impression, a wrong public witness to those who are struggling to be faithful to Jesus. But what about when you are with other people in your home or eating at church or in your congregation? 
Can you eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol then? Well, here's the principle we started that comes into play. He says, yes, I can, but no, I won't, because it might hurt someone I'm with. See, we might be thinking the, uh, the meat was sacrificed by, to altars means it's okay to worship that altar too. And out of love for that brother or that sister who could stumble, and even though you could, you don't eat it. And so Paul ends up saying, yes, I can. It's not forbidden or commanded one way or another. I have that freedom in Christ to do it. That food isn't going to make any difference one way or another in my relationship with Jesus. But sometimes I won't eat meat for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ. Now, how could you apply this since we don't have that same problem? of meat sacrificing to, all, uh, to idols today. And looking at a couple of commentaries about this passage, both of them mention basically the same example. This morning I want to show you a picture of a wine glass. So we ask the question, is it okay to have a glass of wine? Yes. We do it in our homes, don't we? We do it at weddings or other parties that we attend. And in fact, the Bible even says, or Paul says to Timothy, a little wine is good for the stomach. But now we're not talking about getting drunk. The Bible says that is wrong. But we can have something to drink. But let's take a, a picture of where Paul is coming into play in our text for today. Did you know that in the United States, one out of every six Americans have a problem with drinking or are alcoholics? Of course, this drinking problem extends into families and relationships with friends and, co and co-workers. And let's just say that uh, a friend of yours is an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. And you know that person has a very difficult time staying sober in our society. He walks into a grocery store, and what does he see? A huge selection of alcohol. Or he walks in a convenience store, a gas station, and the alcohol greets you at the door. It's on the counter. And most of the refrigerator units, so you could have a cold one. But most of our adult celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, and holidays involves alcohol or sporting events. Those tailgate parties are heavily focused on drinking. Or someone put, has put something on Facebook of some alcoholic drink and comments about how distressing after a long day at work. Alcohol is throughout our society. And a friend says, as an alcoholic, when craving come upon them to drink, it's all around them. You see, the friend needs strength and encouragement from someone else during these times. Someone 
or sometimes he or she, those in the church, say, no, I won't drink in front of you, even though I can. And how does this play for those of us in the church? Can you take a drink? Of course. But if you know someone who is there, who has trouble with alcohol, it's time to say, no, I'm not going to drink. I'm going to have a glass of water or juice or soda or whatever instead. You see, you say no because you don't want to hurt someone and you want to give encouragement so that person does not take a drink and falls back into the problem drinking. And see, that's how it works. I know I can, but for the sake of someone else, the love that I have for my neighbor, my brother or sister in Christ, this time I won't. Or here's another example. Some people have trouble spending money. They can't keep their credit cards in line. They're always in debt. If you have an opportunity, let's say, to go out with them, with that person, and you know that that person has a difficulty with finances, so you don't invite them, hey, let's go shopping but you do something else. Could you go shopping? Yes, but for the sake of someone who could stumble into sin, you don't. Or we all see the lottery, don't we? What about buying a lottery ticket? When someone is struggling with gambling, it's hard because the Bible really doesn't explicitly forbid it. The Bible talks about greed and about the love of money. It, doesn't, it does speak about how we should earn money. It does speak of how that is part of coveting. I'm a strong, I'm going to go a little bit off script here. I'm, I'm, I'm strong on people not gambling. <laughs> and uh, never I said put a, uh, money in one of those. You know why? I was afraid that if I put a money into that thing and it and I come a big winner, and here if I'm in Las Vegas, here's a here's a newspaper article: Lutheran pastor wings big. And now, what would that do with my preaching? They would call me my members a hypocrite. As I mentioned. In the beginning of the sermon, when I was at my son's baseball or basketball games, it wasn't, I wasn't always a good parent. In fact, I ended up yelling at the ump or the referee for missing a call. You do that when you play basketball in college and all that stuff now, whatever. And sometimes losing my cool, and I think sometimes Linda didn't even want to be around me. But do you think we've exercised our freedom to do something but to hurt a brother and sister in the process? Of course we have. Sometimes we've done that without knowing. And I'm sure we've hurt someone because we weren't even thinking about what we were doing. And I imagine that too many times when we weren't even taking into account someone who is weak in a certain area of life, and maybe we didn't even care if someone was struggling. 
And then we had this thought, I can do it. So I'm going to do it, was my attitude. And even though these times, Paul gives us good news in our text for today. Remember his words. Jesus died for our brother and sister in, in the church. He has died for you and me as well. Now, Jesus could have opted out. He could have used his freedom and say, I'll just stay in heaven and not worry about the people need for forgiveness. He could have done that, but he didn't. He did what we needed to happen as brothers and sisters in the church. He goes the agony and the beatings and the bloodsheds of that one-time sacrifice for us. No sacrifices needed at any shrine. No meat needs to be offered up to him. No false gods are, or, or idols allowed. We have only one Savior, one Lord, and, in, and his name is Jesus. And by his sacrifice, he forgives us. And even more in that freedom he now gives to us, when it comes to those things, he doesn't forbid us or command us. He wants us to serve one another. We are not to assert our rights, but in love we do what we can to keep our brother and our sister in Christ from stumbling into sin. And as Jesus sacrificed himself for us, he wants us to sacrifice our rights for others. And here is another way of putting this. Because of Jesus, I can do this. But because of Jesus and my love for my brother and sister in Christ, this time I won't. Amen.